Welcome to your new America, friends, and I'm your new Norman Rockwell, painting pictures of grown adults. Welcome to the Marinade with Jason Earl. We have the great Micah Schnabel on our show today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so honored to have Micah on our show, diving into the Marinade, and man, did he ever. Um, if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to our episodes with BJ Barham and Verlin Thompson. Both fantastic episodes, and both of them really gave us that deep dive and really talked about their creative process, but Micah might have gone deeper than any of them. I'm so grateful for his time. If you haven't checked him out before, go do it. Uh, check out his work with the band Two Cal Garage, who have been doing it for a long time now. Um, go uh, check out his solo records on his Bandcamp page, and, uh, and then look for his uh, first novel, which we talk about, coming out called Hello, My Name is Henry. Uh, it's uh, also the name of a song on his excellent new record, Your New Norman Rockwell. You hear the title track in the background right now. It's a fantastic record. It's definitely worth your time and money. Um, check out these two songs, and we'll play Hello, My Name is Henry and pretty much in its entirety at the end. Uh, but I highly recommend that you download all the Two Cal stuff. See when Mike is on tour. He's a singer, a songwriter, and a fantastic individual. Such a gentleman. Showed up right on time and ready to talk and ready to go to work. And we talk about that quite a bit during the show, how this guy is just a guy who hustles and does what he needs to do to get better at his, at his craft. He was there with his uh, life partner, Vanessa Jean Speckman. She's a fantastic artist in her own right. Does really beautiful work with lettering and with leather and with um, all kinds of visual arts. So check her out on her uh, her Etsy page as well, Vanessa Jean Speckman on um, social media. Man, so exciting to have Micah Schnabel in the marinade. Uh, we sat down at Little Indies on Mills Avenue in Orlando. Before his set, he played a solo set, just him and a guitar, which is the kind of the best way I like to, to digest Micah. Uh, his songs are painful and beautiful, and this record is very important. It's very political in a, in a very meaningful way. He's an incredibly thoughtful guy. I'm so grateful to have him. Welcome to the marinade with Jason Earl. Micah Schnabel. So, all right, here's my introduction to Micah Schnabel, right? right? I um, There was a guy, his name's Devin Stewart. He's a yeah, local, you know, no remember Devin, him? No Devin he opened that time. show, right, in oh, yeah. Gainesville. Yeah. Probably 2010. At Lucy's? Y no, it, it was called The Covered Dish for a number of years. I think it, they call it High Dive now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Common yep. Ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. might have been called Common Ground at the time. Yep, that sounds right. And I came to see him, frankly, because yeah. I just love his music. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, I go and he, he opens and he just crushes it. It's amazing, right? It's just him and a guitar and it's amazing and I'm really excited. This is what I wanted. And then he goes, you got to stick around. Michael Schnabel is amazing, you know, he's t talking you up. And I'm like, all right, I'm stick around. And you played this raucous set. It was <laughs> so much fun. Just like foot stomping and everybody was fired up about it. And just a really positive thing which is something i wanted to kind of get deep with you on already i guess let's, let's dive in let's jump in <laughs> is in. um that you know you write these like painful songs and and I've, I've read lots of things and heard you talk about sort of some of the pain that you feel and some of the things that you deal with mm -hmm. but meeting you here and then meeting you then i met you after that show and you were amazing like incredibly engaging and, and bright you had this bright light about you <laughs> so do you ever think about that? Like, are you aware of that? Yeah, I th I think because r of writing these songs, like that's my that's my therapy, that's my emotional release that I can say these things and I don't have to carry them with me every single day. You yeah, know? Uh, it's kind of unloading the backpack, <laughs> right? <laughs> Playing these shows and 
part of the addiction of uh, chasing that next high. It's all I've found a way to make a career out of that in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah. Know? That um, yeah, I just constantly chasing the next high, booking the next show, trying to get better. You know, and sure. then it also the emotional release of these songs, um, of songs in general, uh, are my way of communicating with the world you know in a way that it's hard to communicate in an everyday conversation you know even with good friends it's hard to break through into the things that we all really want to talk about the things we actually have to say yeah that's my opportunity to do that for 45 minutes a day you know um yeah so that keeps me mentally okay <laughs> right <laughs> well yeah okay o okay is all we could really hope for i suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um i know you're a baseball fan yeah. Right. And you yeah. grew up playing ball. Yeah. Right. Me too. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. there was this thing that happened when I, when it was kind of, everybody has their end. Mm -hmm. And my end was, it sounds like pretty similar to yours where I just wasn't big enough. <laughs> it just wasn't <laughs> quite good enough. Yeah. And mine came and it was tough, man. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was, I think that's what music was kind of like. I had set myself up for the heartbreak, I guess. Cause I, uh, I got into music around 14 or so and I was, you know, playing baseball in school and still taking it. I took it seriously. Like I take music, like mm -hmm. probably way too seriously. And, um, so I took it really, it was, it was everything. It was 100% for me. Yeah. And I saw that turn starting to happen. And I grew up in rural Ohio, you know, small farm town playing against these kids where, you know, and I was okay. I was you know, decent in that arena <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't going any further than that and I hated school so I think I I didn't even know that I was doing it but I was kind of making the mental switch over to music you know right. and finding a new path for myself but yeah I mean I remember playing the last game uh, of you know of the last game of competitive baseball that I would ever play and like I cried for days about it you know like it had been my entire life up until that point you know um, I think I was lucky to have I know I was lucky to have music there to pour myself into, and that's what I've done. You know, um, I'm very, I realize I'm very fortunate at this point in my life. I've only ever had two things that I've ever wanted to do with my life is be a professional baseball player. And <laughs> when that, you know, when I realized that wasn't going to happen, like I wanted to be a musician, songwriter, and here I am. <laughs> what know? do you, there's like this interesting thing about, um, musicians especially singer songwriter type musicians and baseball mm -hmm. like, do, is there a parallel there or is I it just coincidence? So. i mean it's a slow thoughtful game it's like uh, chess yeah. you know yeah. like it's not it's not football it's not you know this constant smash and bash it's a you know it's a chess match yeah a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of it you know obviously there's physical ability and talent all in there but you know there's also you know, the suicide squeeze and hit and runs yeah. and uh yeah, there's a constant chess match to it. So it is kind of a thinking person's game, you know. Yeah. So that you're right, I've never thought about that, but I, d I think it does translate a little bit over to to that. It's a uh, slow and thoughtful. Right. That's a great point. What are the did you, do you follow the professional game very much or did you? I don't. I as soon as I was done playing, I kind of I couldn't So you did when you were a kid then? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's great cuz all right, let's have this conversation then. <laughs> yeah. Who are the most, when growing up, you know, baseball heroes, mm -hmm. who do you think are the most, this show's about creativity, who are the <laughs> most creative baseball players? Creative baseball players. Um, Ozzie Smith, probably. Oh, that's like, a good one. I mean, he was so smooth and it was almost art, 
Yeah. You know, and like obviously they're like the backflips and stuff, but it was he played the game differently. And like uh, uh, Gary, uh, oh, Shane's going to hate me for forgetting his last <laughs> name. San Diego Padres, the hitter. Sheffield. Uh, no. Guy Eddie. Oh, it's killing me. It's escaping me. Um, but he was also a poetic with a bat. Tony Gwynn also. Tony yeah, Gwynn. Tony's a good one. Tony Gwynn was, it was an art, hitting was an art form to him. Yeah. You know, um, it was a thing of beauty to watch him do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So as far as like creative baseball players, I think that was guys that Ozzy Smith was unbelievably talented, but I believe he was short, you know, and, uh, Tony Gwynn was just a short guy. Yeah, but they found ways. They found their niche and they worked it, and they created, made an art of this thing that th- the one thing that they could do really well. Yeah, you know. So. Well, you also just named two guys that this came up in my conversation with BJ last week, BJ Barham last week was that those guys you just named are known for their work ethic. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like, there's got to be yeah. a parallel there. That's funny. I've never thought about that before, but that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I've never thought about that. <laughs> Because I wonder if you think about other creative types, um, or I mean, just creativity in general. You're you're a reader, right? You're mm-hmm. a pretty avid reader. Yeah. Um, it seems like the one the take Hemingway for example, mm-hmm. right? Are you a Hemingway fan at all? Yes. Okay, so I think about like you know he was known for his partying and some right, of his right. exploits, but mm-hmm. he was also known for getting his ass up every morning and going to work and going to work. Right. And he would work until he was done, and then he would go get drunk and yeah. do everything else. Exactly. That but he the would then get up and write about the next morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is, there's got to be something there, too. What does your process look like? Um, I'm the wake up and work. I treat it like a job. All the, Like when I'm at home, I'm up at 10. I'm, down at, I'm sitting at the desk by noon, by 11 or noon, and I work, I work throughout the day. I work until 11 o'clock at night, and then usually around 11. Uh, my partner, Vanessa... We live together, and uh, she's an artist also, so we work throughout the day. We wake up, we work, and we usually knock off around 11 o'clock at night and um, wake up and do it all over again. But it's every single day. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it's every single day. I sit down and at the desk, and I read, and I write, and I throw things away all day long. Really? Yeah. Throw things away. What do you mean by that? I write poorly, allow myself to write <laughs> poorly, and throw it away. That's but it's great. Just, it's just the getting up, it's sitting down at the desk and doing the work, you know, and I've watched it. I've watched myself get better because of it. Yeah. And it just makes me want to get home and sit back down at the desk and work through the bad stuff <laughs> and yeah. get to the good, get to the stuff that I'm excited about. And, um, that's my process is every single day. And I know a lot of people don't work that way, but again, like there are a lot of people that are way more talented than I am for me to be in, even in this game, the little bit that I am like, that's how I like to work. And that's how I feel good about myself, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of people that I talk to, they, for, there's a period of of their life where they are kind of sitting around waiting for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that used to work that way. It's like a, a less fertile, time it seems like right um i think when you're young you know that's that's just how it kind of works you know i don't think you i didn't know about didn't think of it as a job as you know of work ethic and stuff like that but um <laughs> so yeah when you're young i don't think you think about that you just are excited to play your songs and uh, you know you get an idea and you go try and execute it you know and i worked that way for a long time but when writing song writing in general became 
a career, like I realized that I couldn't just sit around waiting for this, you know, light bulb to go off. If I wanted to start really getting things done, I had to sit down and do the work. And the more I've dedicated myself to it, the the better th the writing has gotten and the better the music has gotten and the work overall, you know, just the more I allow myself to like wake up every day and fail. Yeah. You know, write write a thousand words and throw them in the recycling bin and you know, start again tomorrow. Yeah. But I don't think there's ever a wasted time, you know, even if you sit down and write garbage all week, all month, you, every, every poor thing that you write, you're closer to something better, you know, that's yeah. how I view it. So like get the bad stuff down and out of the way <laughs> Yeah. and be willing to throw it away. Well, there's a lot, you got to get out of your ego then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it beats you down. Like yeah. big time. Um, I just finished my first novel that's coming out in the fall and like, that was a process. Wow, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. But when I sent off the original, man I mean, I wrote it on a friggin' typewriter. Uh, so I sent off the manuscript to the editor and the publisher. He went through his initial thing and then sent it back to me probably six months later. And 70% of it I threw away. Wow. After, the, after six months of, you know, going back and looking at it. And I just go back and start anew and get back to the desk and start working again. Take that little bit of good stuff you got and start getting better, <laughs> you know. So What's it about? Um, well, there's a song on the new record called Hello, My Name is Henry. Uh -huh. And that's going to be the name of the title of the book, I believe, also. And that song actually came from the start of the novel. Um, so I started that. And I just kind of realized, I was like, man, I think this could be a song also. <laughs> so it's about uh, growing up in nowhere America, you know, basically growing up in small town, rural America, and um, the lack of opportunity that comes to those people, you know, yeah. to any person growing up in those areas, you know, there, there's no opportunity, there's no money, the manufacturing left. And it's the same story as in an urban area, you know, it's the money leaves and these people get everybody gets left behind if you you know so yeah it's about the, the lack of opportunity and how people don't understand that there are kids that grew up their entire lives who never travel 30 miles away from the place that they grew up yeah. because it's just never been an opportunity right you know so kind of, i guess kind of sh shining a light on that and just the how poverty is passed down generation to generation to generation and these people uh, people aren't lazy they're not stupid they're just they have access to nothing. Right. You know, so yeah, <laughs> that's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> How uplifting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked that you wrote a book about that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love the new record. Um, Thank you. And, but it's, it's very different. I feel like than a it lot is. of other stuff. So you it feel is. that too. You're yeah. very aware of that. It was totally accidental. Um, yeah. I, it, it came as the writing process changed. When sure. I started down just working every day, um, I got really frustrated with trying to work, because I always wrote the music first and then tried to write lyrics to it and you're searching for that next rhyme and I've always felt like I sacrificed the the story I was trying to tell for a mm. rhyme and I got really tired of that and I just and I'm not good at it like there are people that are amazing at it but I'm I felt like I was trying to play a game that I wasn't any even in the same ballpark as other people as people that are just great at it yeah you know, Jason Isbell yeah can sit down and 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 he can do that. Yeah. I can't play that 
game, you know, right, against right. The, not that it's against, but like, sure. I can't play in that same arena, you know? So I think I really feel like I just kind of found my voice and started just saying it, you know, and there's no tap dancing on this record. Like, yeah, everything is straightforward and straight to it, saying what I want to say. And I feel like I tell the story and that feels really, really good singing these songs every night and nothing is I don't feel like I sacrificed anything for a rhyme or whatever like I told the story whether it's good or it's bad I don't know but I know I feel good about the work that's awesome yeah there has to be uh, you just mentioned it uh, there has to be that inkling of like trying to keep up with an Isbel or uh you know whoever that songwriter is that you respect but there's also like a really unhealthy thing in there, right? Where like you yeah. got to do you. Yeah, yeah. And what yeah. you did on this record is beautiful. Thank it's you. very different from that, right, you know, right. from what Isbel does, for example, yeah. or what Sturtle Simpson does, yeah, or, yeah. you know, but what you did is beautiful and Thank you. And it's it is different, you know? Like it's it doesn't sound like your other stuff. Yeah. And I love that. I love <laughs> your other stuff, but I love that this is a different direction. That makes me really happy. It was a okay. scary jump to to this new place, but like I said, it felt natural. But yeah, I got I got locked in that box of comparing myself to other songwriters for a long time. Yeah, you know, and I, I just I was I was, but that's what everybody else around me was doing. So I guess I just got caught mm. in that mindset of comparing, like, well, this person is doing this, and this person is doing that. And I think I've I know some of the worst songs I've written in my career are because I was like, I didn't know if I even knew that I was doing it, but I was like ch- trying to emulate or trying to be a part of something in a really unhealthy you know unartistic way Mm. and i see that now it's glaringly obvious you know and i tried to just not play those songs anymore because i don't feel good about them oh interesting but well that's okay let's get there though because there's probably somebody out there maybe somebody coming tonight Mm-hmm. who is obsessed with that song, whatever that song is, right, that, right. you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. So how do you navigate that? I have no idea. Yeah. It's a, I, I'm 35 years old, and I feel like I have am just starting to find myself and my voice, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest thing. A million people have said it, but I think it's the hardest thing for an artist is to find your own voice. Yeah. And it's taken me, you know, I started writing songs when I was 16, 17 years old. I'm 35 now, and I feel like I'm just starting to, like, creep in to find out what my voice sounds like yeah so i don't know i don't have any advice <laughs> uh, advice is for fools that's why yeah. <laughs> you know well i mean um, i would assume you'd play it if somebody wanted it you know oh of course i mean in a, a general helpful way but I, mean, I, I think it just goes back to doing the work trying to find yourself you know yeah trying that voice that is specifically yours you know it's funny like there are people that a song can pop on and just from the, you can hear the sound of their hands. You can tell who's like playing guitar, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's that same kind of thing. Like there are words that you can read that if you just read them on a blank page, you would know who wrote them, yeah. you know, and that's the goal is to find your own voice. Mm. Just keep sitting down and doing the work, you know? Yeah. Some people find it. Some people, it comes really easy to them that didn't again with the work ethic, like finding my own voice did not come easy to me. I'm mm. still working at it, you know? Did you have uh, like that, I don't want to get cliche and like you're from rural Ohio and mm-hmm. so maybe there's that hard scrabble in you, but <laughs> maybe that is the real thing. Like, right. did you have that always, the, the work ethic or is that something you had to develop? Um, at the things that I loved. Yeah. Like I said, like it's old, but it's, <laughs> that's only ever been baseball and music. Yeah. But I worked 
well, it doesn't even feel like work to me because I just I love it. Yeah. I look like you know, I think about it every day. Like I go to bed looking forward to waking up the next day and going to work. That's you awesome. Know? Yeah, like I'm very fortunate in that aspect. But um, so I guess I've always had it, but only for the things that I love. I've and I've never really been willing to like. I was never a good worker at the pizza place or anything like that. You know? <laughs> like I was never much of an employee for anybody else. But for myself and the things that I care about, I'm all in. Yeah. Well, I, I'm i 36, so I'm right there with right, you. Right. And, um, and for me, you know, around me, I had a lot of good examples of people who worked really hard and just worked at whatever that thing was. Yeah. Right. So I'm from small town Florida, which... Probably what town ain't are you a whole from? lot different from small town Probably Ohio. Not. I'm from what? Ocala. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think we drove through there yesterday going from Jacksonville to Jacksonville to, to Tampa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Would we have gone through there? You would have probably could you could have. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took like a back road. Yeah, that was connected. probably the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those mid sized towns. Okay. You know, it's one of those towns that like has a small town attitude mm-hmm. but is a little bit bigger. Right. You know, 200,000 people in the whole oh, county, dang. I guess. No, okay. no, no, the city's not that big. Okay, gotcha. 45,000 maybe. Okay. But it feel, people act like they're in, you know, this, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right, you right. You know, well, we uh-huh. got a Target, you know. Oh, <laughs> got, man, you got a Target. <laughs> yeah, we're big time. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, totally big cosmopolitan. time. Cosmopolitan. Yeah, yeah. We had Tractor Farm Supply or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we got one of those too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep up. <laughs> <laughs> there is like a weird, I didn't mean to go here, but there is a weird like Ohio, Florida parallel. Like the rest of the country seems to look at us like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> do you feel that in Ohio? <laughs> Believe me, we look at you that way. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, traveling like we do, every everybody's like, "Where are you from?" Like Ohio, they're like, "Oh, sorry." I'm yeah. Like, well, dang. But people from bad. Ohio are intensely <laughs> proud of being from Ohio too, though. Well, that's like, weird. It's a weird thing to be proud of the place that you're from. We can get into that point. if you want. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a, great a ridic- point. Yeah, it's ridiculous, and it's part of what has brought us into this situation that we're in right now is people being proud of the place they just happen to be born into which what do you think that comes accidentally from? just quoted myself on there but i didn't mean to <laughs> <laughs> what do you think where do you think that comes from i think it's beaten into us from yeah. the second i mean we had to say the pledge of allegiance when we were in kindergarten you know like and if you take a step back like if you were to show little children doing that saying their great prayer to the great sky leader you know, in school, and, and if that was North Korea, people, Americans would look at it and be like, oh, that's that's insane. Yeah. But they send their children to school every single day to go do it, you know? To a symbol. Yeah. I mean, it's to the flag. It's yeah. It's not like to individuality and right. freedom or of to speech. My fellow, yeah, or the humans <laughs> living here right next to me. No, it's to this flag that, yeah. you know, is a representation of ideas that, anyway, yeah. No, no, anyway, because <laughs> yeah. your whole record seems to be about that. Yeah. This new one. <laughs> I mean, that drives, it just dri- absolutely drives me crazy that, you know, the people are somehow able to separate, like, send their children to these schools and say the prayers and, uh, you know, and say their pledge their allegiance to this flag and then in the same breath vote to basically kill their fellow human beings, you know, and their neighbors yeah you know they would go cast a vote that will literally will literally kill some of their neighbors yeah. like their neighbors will die because of because of you know the, the big rural king that's in charge now yeah you know and i think i think it's cognitive dissonance is that where it's mm. like they, they can be good people but then somehow there's this complete disconnect yeah w- between like 
it's just completely gone. They're just willing to like sacrifice that as long as it's not them. There's this weird separation to it. And I think a lot of it starts with pledging your allegiance to a flag, a place that, you know, you have no connection to. Right. You were just born there. Just it's a lucky. complete, it's just an accident, you yeah. know? Lucky or unlucky, depending on where you were born in that place. Ex- exactly. And then yeah. we judge people by it. Like, it's it's gross. It's gross. Yeah. Immature behavior. <laughs> Did you have a sense of that when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that got me into a lot of trouble. Um <laughs> Cause I never wanted to be a part of that, you know, saying the pledge of allegiance to a flag. And like, I grew up going to Catholic school, having to say a prayer before school is like, it was ludicrous, you know? Yeah. And I pointed that out and as a child and you know, that just gets you in trouble. And you now you're the trouble kid in detention because you're like, this is not, Cause you're questioning things. Right. That's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to go on a quick tangent. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they send you in second, you're going to Catholic school. They send you in second grade to go confess your hell worthy sins as a, I don't know how old you are in second grade, but that's the first communion there and, and all that jazz or first confession. And they, I remember them telling you just like, I was like, well, I don't know if I've created or I've done any hell worthy sinning, yeah. you know? And they're like, well, just make something up. Well, that's crazy. It, it, it is completely insane. And I yeah. think if people s- take a step back to actually look at what it is, they would agree. Uh, sorry. Now I'm just ranting. No, I love it. <laughs> and while we're there since we're there (laughs) what about uh, how about spirituality or religion or whatever and its role in your life is there a space there you know for you or no no i mean it's it's i think it's poisoned it's poisoned people so deeply it's 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 caused so much destruction every religion like it's it may have had a place in time but those that time is gone and now it's it's poisoned the well so deeply that we're paying, still paying for it. And the fact that these churches are still standing and people are still going to them just frustrates me, frustrates me. But there's and something so uh, there's something so passionate, and there's a there's got to be a connection in your music. There's there's something so deep there. So is there not not that it's religious necessarily, mm-hmm. or maybe you know music is my religion, kind of a cliche sounding thing, right? But right. But, but is there some sort of something to that is there a connection there in in terms of maybe not religion but spirituality of some sort or some sense of i don't think i believe in spirituality i don't believe in a soul i don't believe you know like that's just not scientifically how a human being is made right you know um i think our brains are amazing machines you know like it's unbelievable that we can you and i can sit here talking into these microphones it's going into this little computer and yeah this hopefully yeah yeah. (laughs) but these are these are the things that the human brain can do and it's so powerful i think the hardest thing for a human being to do is look at themselves and dig deep and think about why you know (laughs) what problems am i creating in my life that are stemming from how i was raised and you know how my parents were raised and I guess that's how I look at it is like because I can see the poisonous things that I have done and the, what the problems I've created for myself in my life how these things were passed down to me and how I couldn't wrap my head around them and did didn't pay attention to them and fell into a lot of the traps that uh, my previous ancestors had yeah. you know and I don't think people like to look that deeply into it they'd rather just say well god is good and he'll take care of it it's like well that's a ridiculous notion and it's not it's unhealthy 
it's super unhealthy right you know? and it's unfair to children you know because it's setting them up for a fall yeah that's such a great for point. the same struggles you know yeah well and that it comes back to what you said earlier about the pledge and the fact that if you're indoctrinated as a kid kids don't have you know they're asking you to confess your sins when you were in school <laughs> kids don't have enough sense of themselves or yeah. the greater world around them to truly dissect all of those big things. Yeah. So they're leaning on adults and mm-hmm. if adults are saying like, it's all good, this thing in the sky is going to fix it. This right. symbol is going right. to fix it. As long as you're good, whatever the good whatever means. Whatever that is. Right. That, that I don't have any clue on. Right. <laughs> and then, right. And then I remember like thinking like if something bad happened, what had I done wrong to cause something bad to happen? Oh, I still deal with it. I, yeah, I do I mean, it every I, it day. Was, yeah. Yeah. We I think call it the, <laughs> my, my partner and I call it the, the, we call it the guilties. Yeah. The fucking guilties, man. It, it eats me up to this day. I'm still fighting it. And I notice myself like thinking and like, like judging other people by something. And I'm like, well, why am I even, why am I thinking that? Yeah. Why am I thinking that about this person? And I'm like, oh, because I'm completely insecure about this right. thing and this thing. And yeah. I'm judging this other person because then I feel better about it. And it's just that Catholic guilt wrapping itself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I grew up Baptist and a lot of the same kind of thing. But yeah. where like if I go out and I'll have a handful of beers and everyone was having a good time and, and I, no one really gave a damn about, you know, the fact that I spoke a little loudly or whatever. <laughs> like, no one really gave a fuck. <laughs> right. But I wake up in the morning. But, and it's all that you can hear. <laughs> is your voice. That one thing that you said too loudly. Idiot. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Happens. Got a pocket full of those right now. Yeah, and I'm 36. Like, yeah. grow up. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I'll probably it's do it tonight. Yeah. You know, I'm it's gonna wake up tomorrow, struggle. and I'm gonna. F- I know. Feel like an idiot. It's another part of the reason I I quit drinking before I play, ah. like even at shows because like I would hear like live recordings of something I would say on a microphone. I just be like, oh man. Well, it's amazing That's how like you forgive yourself for. All the stupid shit you do sober. <laughs> I could do anything sober, you know, be a complete asshole. And I feel like, well, at least I wasn't drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It haunts me every single day. Yeah. I forget. I, there was something right before we left the hotel. I was getting coffee from the guy and I said, thank you. But I think I said it in like a weird way where he thought maybe I was being mean. And I hope not. So I went back and tipped him more. Yep. And then like I was like, oh, I He's going to think I'm a total ass now. I just, thank you came out the wrong way. (laughs) Yep. He was probably like, you know, he's not sitting there thinking about it right now. He doesn't give a damn about you. (laughs) He doesn't care at all. He sold you a coffee and it was great (laughs) for him. He got the money that he needed and that was it. He's not looking for some greater fulfillment from you. (laughs) I know. I'm still worried about it. I know. I'm going to worry about it too. (laughs) Like now I'm worried about your situation and... It's also ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think I asked you just about all those big things that I wanted to ask you. Now, the, cool. the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was just sort of like being a toy musician for so long. Mm-hmm. You've been on the road with Two Cow, what, fifth? how long? Two Cow turned 16 in September. 16. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it's pretty cool, actually, to think about it. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so 16 years, you've probably experienced a lot of things. What have you learned about? relationships with people in that time hmm just general yeah that's yeah that's a big one big general um 
Or if you need to narrow oh, it down. No, I think the biggest one, uh, Shane Sweeney yeah. from Two Cow. Um, we've, I, I think we found this kind of at the same time, but it's uh, however much you're putting up with somebody else, they're also putting up with you. Mm. So, like, never forget that. Wow. No matter how frustrated you are with somebody in the van or somebody at the club or whatever, like, no matter how much you think you're, you know, being this great person, <laughs> yeah. they're putting up with you too, you know, to keep that in mind and just st- to try to stay empathetic and, yeah. Wow, at that's all wonderful. times, you know. Sure. But um, yeah. with the, the the avid reader that you are, what are you reading right now? Um, right now I'm reading a book called Knockout. And I mm. forget, it's a book of short stories. It is fantastic, nice. and I feel terrible. I can't forget. Th- I can't remember the guy's name right now. Oh. but um, yeah. Oh, it's That's okay. You can yeah. look it up later, and I'll <laughs> add it. To, yeah. yeah, I'll add it in there to the end of this <laughs> yeah. or whatever. How about you? What are you reading? Uh, I just finished Cormac McCarthy's. Um, uh, uh, wow, why can't I think of the, the name of the book that I just spent two months reading? <laughs> I brought it with me in case you hadn't read it. I was going to give it to you. Oh. I actually brought a few of my favorites with me. Oh, Blood Meridian. Oh, Blood Meridian. You ever read up, it? Uplifting Joint? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did, uh, but it's been a couple years ago it, now. He's a, when you were talking about when you see something, when you see something written and you can kind of, that voice comes through, mm-hmm. he's such a perfect example, right? Yeah, absolutely. Where like, Cormac McCarthy could write on a bathroom wall and be like, oh, he was here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. That's some pretty dark stuff for the yeah, bathroom, man. so fucked up, man. <laughs> Everything he writes is so deep. Yeah, it was hard to read because, because you don't want, when I'm consuming something that good, because mm-hmm. he's that good, I don't want to miss anything. Right. So, like, if I'm tired or if right. I'm hungover or if I'm not in the right frame of mind for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't pick that thing up. Right. So right. it's taken forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel yeah. like with nonfiction, I can just read it, you mm-hmm. know, but if it's really good fiction, it takes me forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I did a uh, infinite jest this winter. And mm. dang, that's on that's, my list. It's like, it's an intense piece of like work, you know, yeah. and you have to, it takes a lot of effort, you know? Yeah. But, um, that's one that I have to, I'm going to have to do that like 10 times until oh, I yeah. even get probably a 10th of it. You know, you could read that, read and reread that book for the rest of your life and get more and more from it. You know, right. But we'll live in some of those books that you can just live in. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that you know, I think, it, uh, uh, Ulysses, you know, is that one oh. that like, I never got through it, but, um, I didn't either. But he said like, I want you to live in this book, right. basically. He kind of intentionally wrote it so right. that you were going to spend forever in it. Right. It's going to be on your bedstand or your kitchen table with a bookmark halfway through yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, right now I'm reading, to go back to your original question, is it's a, a book about um, security. It's about just sort of like our sense of security as a society. Oh, okay. And it's this a guy who is an expert in, in security. <laughs> and so just this sense of like, Everything from walking into a public place, a mall or something, mm-hmm. to flying to, you know, what wh- who has an agenda and what does that agenda look like? And, you know, are we truly safer based because we have to take our shoes off? Oh, right. You know, right. Right. So it's kind of interesting, but it's just sort of it's 
it's a kind of book that just parrots back things that I already believe. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it's not really making me any better. <laughs> it's so you just making me go about like, yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I am pretty good. All right. <laughs> I'm so aware and awake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself doing a lot of that, man. I, I consume, you know, NPR and I consume. Same like, here. It was playing this, when I drove up. Like all these motherfuckers agree with me. I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so they bring the right wing like interview on and then I just start screaming. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That's well, a hard that's a that's a big one to break. And uh I've been I was having a conversation with a friend last night about that, but working real I'm working really hard to find empathy for rural America right now. Mm. And that's so hard, but it it's the most important empathy is the most important thing, you know. And um listening to other people's stories and where they're coming from. And that's the biggest challenge, just to get outside of that bubble and hear the other ideas. Right. I'm looking and at this because you said something. There's a lyric. I think it's on jazz and cinnamon toast crunch where you say, I'm a product of your rural slums. Oh, new Norman rock, new Norman Rockwell. Yeah. 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 Oh For God. the new rural slums, which is in America, which people aren't going to want to call it. But I mean, that's what, you know, the opioid epidemic has ravaged these places. You know, I had 142 kids in my graduating class and like, like, over 40 of them have died. Oh my uh, like God. It, it's completely ravaged an entire generation in America. Yeah. And you know, we're still not willing to like look at it or deal with it. You right. know, we just want to put everybody in prison and think that that's, but you're going to have an entire generation in prison. Yeah. You know, of, all, you know, every human. And it, it happened, it happened in the, it's happened in every generation, not every generation, but like it happened with crack in New York city, you know, sure. and they put an entire generation of African American men in, in prison. Yeah. It, it, it's not how things, you know what I mean? Like sure. they just keep making these same mistakes and these old white guys just keep making the same decisions that poison the people that have less money than them. And here we are, you know, and now they're ready to pass this healthcare bill that if it goes through, like poor people will die. And they'll start dying quickly and yeah. faster, you know, and they can put up more Starbucks with, you know, $3,000 a month <laughs> condos on top of them. And I don't know where poor people go from that, but I'm on another tangent. I forget. Oh, the opioid epidemic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're going to get into white privilege in a second. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. Yeah. Just not dealing with the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and let's go there then, because like, you know, 35, 36 white males, mm -hmm. right? And even yep. though we didn't necessarily, I mean, I don't know what your upbringing was like, but you're, you know, rural Ohio or whatever. Um, I didn't grow up rich, but I had I had it all. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Does that make any sense? Yeah, like, absolutely. Everything has been there. Uh -huh. If you look like us, yep. life is so fucking easy. Mm -hmm. And it makes, it, it takes forever <laughs> to get that through your head. Yeah, yeah. It took a long time. Yeah. I'm sure I'm there's I'm still not aware of sure. all the ways that I've just gotten through just because of the color of my skin. Yeah. And and being a male. You know, I think falling in love, like truly falling in love with a woman is what like really made me start to think about things in a different way. Hmm. I had, you know, a lot a lot of experience in my life falling in and out of love, so to speak, and dating different girls and all that kind of thing, but like finding someone that I was just so impressed with and felt so close to uh -huh. 
and realizing what she deals with every day just because she's a woman. Oh yeah. You know, is the, f- that, it, that was, I always thought I was aware mm-hmm. and then she came along and I went, Oh shit, I am not aware at all. Right. You know, right. seeing the world through her eyes. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. Again, it goes so deep that I, d- I don't even know how to even start talking about it. I'm sure there's, like I said, there, I'm sure there's more, so many things that I don't even know of, yeah. you know, but to look, you know, I was walking out of the hotel today thinking about that and like all kinds of people passing by, walking in and out and stuff. And I was just like, smile, like smiled and said hello to someone. And I was like, well, just me being able to do that, like smile and try to be friendly to someone is something that like I can do because I'm a white male. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. because if an African-American male did that to someone that could be taken and who knows what, what, you know what I mean? Like there's advantages at every turn walking into every restaurant, every bar, just living in this world. There's an advantage just being a white male. Yeah. I don't know what to do with, I don't know what to do with (laughs) it. You know, because you don't want to quote unquote take advantage of it. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to avail myself of that. Right. Not that I don't know. and that see that becomes like this kind of cyclical argument then right and it's like well why not i guess the thing to do with it is to use it hopefully for the benefit of a larger group of people that's what yeah i think just trying to use our voice use my voice to benefit yeah exactly what you said benefit a larger group of people and to look out for others without without like stepping on them or um like taking credit or something, you know, but just being an uh, ally. Right. Yeah. Ally is a good word. Yeah. I like that word a lot. What are they? There's another, like, uh, not crossing. It's not boundaries, but like crossing into where you're kind of like taking credit away or like taking away from somebody, you know, but it's a really, but, but it's a, it's a really hard thing, it but is. it's not a hard thing at all. Well, you know what I mean? It's like the yeah. easiest thing in the world. Because we're white males. Yeah, I mean, I think we can over-intellectualize it, right? So, you ever listen, you talk about NPR, you ever, ever listen to Code Switch? Yeah. Yeah, so they had a whole episode on that, about being an advocate or an ally. Oh. And when it's harmful and when it's helpful. Right, right. And so, but, as I was listening to that, I was like, yeah, yeah, really into it, right? And then I was like, this is overly intellectualizing <laughs> this whole thing, right? Like, I was really into it. Right. But then I, right. I thought, I stepped back and thought, wait a minute. If you're doing good work and you're trying to help people, you know, and not not waving your, you know, right. I, look at me, helpful flag. Right, right. But you're trying to do the right thing. I don't know what else I can do. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's somebody listening to this probably in a week going like, you fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're probably right. They're probably I'm right. S- I'm sorry. And <laughs> yeah, I'd like to apologize. I promise you. I'm doing my best. Yeah. You know, to be an ally for everybody, for humans in general. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, Micah, thank you so much. I don't want to take any more of your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was nice talking to you. Yeah. Great questions. Thanks, man. <laughs> Good. Thank All right. You. I'm looking forward to the show. Um, anything in particular you're going to do? Do you have your set list figured out or do you just um, wing it? I've been playing a pretty much the new record and then put it doing some older stuff that like requests and stuff that people want to hear at the end because yeah. the record is 31 minutes long and it takes me about 26 minutes to play it live. So oh, perfect. <laughs> so, Good. Good. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. You know, <laughs> cool. I've heard you play the other stuff. I want to hear the new stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. All right, man. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
Micah Schnabel of Two Cow Garage. Such an honor. Go check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash marinade podcast on Instagram, marinade underscore podcast, Twitter at marinade podcast. Thank you so much for all your support. If you like our show, if you like what we're doing, go to iTunes and consider giving us a rating. It helps a ton. And even if you don't have anything to say necessarily, just clicking those stars in the positive direction makes a big difference for us. Check out Micah's work. I'm going to try to shut up so you can hear some of his music. But uh, so grateful for his uh, his uh, attention and time and thoughtfulness. Cheers, y'all. Says this name tag that they make me wear Named after a grandfather That beat the shit out of my mother I am living proof that not everybody counts No, not everybody matters Toss these racks of candy bars and Advil Out into the parking lot And set this place on fire And take the money from the register As the Pop 40 music still playing from the speakers From the ceiling And just go anywhere but here And tell me, do you ever feel like your life is just happening to you? Like nothing you say or do has ever really mattered And tell me, do you ever feel like your life is just happening to you? Like nothing you say or do has ever really mattered Because I've never really mattered Matter.